Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. I'm going to be reading the Bible passage for today. Um, When I end, I'm going to end with, this is the word of the Lord, and you shall respond by saying, thanks be to God. So I'm going to be reading from Exodus 25, 1 to 8, and also from Exodus 36, 2 to 7. So that's Exodus 25, 1 to 8, then Exodus 36, 2 to 7. So Exodus 25, 1 to 8, the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are, you are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give. These are the offerings you are to receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yam, um, and fine linen. Goat hair, ram skin dyed red, and another type of durable leather, Arcadia wood, olive oil from the light, for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and other gems to be mounted on the ethod and breast piece. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell amongst them. Exodus 36, two to seven. Then Moses summoned Bezel and Oleab, and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring freewill offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough, doing the work of the Lord commanded, sorry, said the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an an order and they sent the word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, good afternoon, please. How is the morning? Ah. Good. Um, yeah, good morning. Good morning. <clears throat> so Adrian um, was Caesar of Rome between 117 and 138. He built the largest temple in Rome. Um, at, I think at that time, the Temple of Venus and Roma. Um, Roma was the acclaimed ans- divine ancestress and protector of the Roman um, temple or empire people. 
and Rome, um, <clears throat> I mean, Venus was the divine ancestress of the Roman people, and Roma was her great counterpart. So Rome was sort of religious, like multi-religious. Uh, there were barbarians there who did not comprehend God. Um, there were Greeks, there were Jews, and there was a rapidly growing cult, you know, known as the Way, a.k.a. Christians. So there's this guy, Aristides, a philosopher. He did his research, he compared the various groups and religions in, in Rome, and then a new, a new Adrian was visiting Athens. So when Adrian visited, he gave a public um, you know, speech. I wanted to see what he made of Christians. He said, but the Christians, O king, for they know and trust in God, the creator of heaven and of earth, in whom and from whom are all things. They do not worship idols made in the image of man. They do not worship strange gods. They love one another and show kindness to those near to them. And from widows, they do not turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes and rejoice over him as a very brother. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. And if do not proclaim in the ears of the multitude the kind deeds they do, but are careful that no one should notice them, and they conceal their giving just as he who finds a treasure and conceals it. For great indeed and wonderful is their doctrine to him who will search into it and reflect upon it. And verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. Um, so you see these guys. These Christian people were very generous. And if you look at what we just read, 36 verse 5, you see they were bringing more than enough. More than enough. Morning after morning, they were bringing offerings. So the question before us today is, are we similar? Do we have the same arts? If we're not giving away money in our possessions in a way that makes it impossible for us to live like those who end the same as us, then we don't have the arts of generosity yet, or who live in the same place, same region as we do, who are in the same social class or ladder that we are in. If we're not giving away money and possessions in eye-popping proportions that make others say there is a divine in the midst of them, we're not really worshiping the true God enough yet. The word offering in verse 2 of chapter 25 is derived from the root word teruma, which means to, to take up, to raise. So when the Lord tells Moses to tell the Israelites to bring me an offering, he's saying, Take up from your possession. Set aside from your money and from all that you have to me. Raise it up to me. You know, God is saying indirectly, when he says, bring me, he's saying that, or is there someone else, or is there anything else that you are taking up your stuff to? Are you, are you, are you worshipping someone else? Are you looking up to something else other than me? I'm sure that Adrian, you know, this, this, this Caesar of Rome that built the temple for Venus, must have been shocked. But what he heard from Aristides about the Christian people. So the question we can also ask ourselves today is, who is shocked by our attitude to money? Who is shocked by our generosity? 
are people saying that, that you see, I don't know how dad's family, you know, the way they, they are well to do, the husband and the wife, they are well to do, but it doesn't show in how they live. Like, it was giving everything away, giving everything. I don't understand. And then someone comes to say, ah, you don't understand. Ah, they are Christians now. That's how Christians do. That's how they behave. They don't think anything is their own. They just give and give and give like foolish people. Or people saying, oh, no, no, don't you know that lady? And that lady that, that does not live up to her standard level, that does not know what's up, that just, she makes, but she's not she's giving a lot. Are people saying, ah, don't you know her? She's from City Church now. That's what they do. They're generous like that. Or is it not the case that we've answered the roll call in the temples of our own time, in the temples of Rome, Venus of our time, of Roma, of Ajay, of Aztec, of Shango? And then some are saying that, um, who does images and stuff today? Nobody's bowing before any wooden image or any um, stuff. <clears throat> yes. But I ask you, I'll say this to you. You may not sacrifice ekurufufu, that is white ground oil beans, ALA pigeon. You may not sacrifice obi, olojumeri, that is kolanot with four lobes to ajay. But when you take and give bribes to secure contracts, have you not taken up your integrity to her? You may not chant to ajay daily. You are the elderly of all Orisha. Let me have you in form of money in my pocket and not in form of death of my name. For it is through you we acquire expensive clothes. But when all you pray to God about is money, finance, blessing, success, Lord, send them, send them in droves this week as I preach. Let them bring seed, 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 seed. If that is all you're praying about, who are you truly worshiping? See, this is why we set up this series, Idols in the City, Money, Sex, and Power. The first five weeks are on money. Today is the fourth, and it's about generosity. Idols dwell in our hearts, but generosity should come from our hearts if we let Christ dwell in our hearts. This is the heart of generosity. So we're going to look at four points. Idols dwell in our hearts, one. Generosity should come from our hearts, two. Christ wants to dwell in our hearts, three. This is the heart of generosity, four. Idols dwell in our hearts. <clears throat> um... There is generosity in this community. I have observed, in we, some of us know, in our gospel communities, we've raised money to help a couple who had just lost a child and who had spent a lot. We've got offering for a sister who was robbed. We've gathered money to get put resources for justice initiatives. We've done that also for our meal and fun day. Some of us give to the church monthly, we give weekly. I am also a beneficiary of um, remarkable generosity in this community. When I first moved to Lagos and was unable to afford a place to stay, a group of people, a group of families came together and pulled resources for me to rent an apartment. And there are countless numbers of secret gifts of giving to missions and charities, our time and our resources. But the reason for this sermon today is we want to unearth the idols, the false beliefs in our relationship with money, so that those who are not generous can examine the arts, so that those who are generous can examine the arts, so that those who are very generous can also examine the arts. Uh, some of us will give reasons for not being generous or for not being more generous. We'll say things like, I don't have enough. Uh, my needs outweigh my income. Um, 
I have not gotten to that level yet. When I get to a certain standard, I'll open a foundation. I know it's, it's always been my dream. Nobody can say anything to stop me. You know, when I start any more, when I start any more, it's just the job. I just, I, if you hear what my salary is, you will never tell me anything about giving. You will never preach this someone. He said, I will give when my business takes off. Training kids in Lagos is very expensive. We don't even like, that's where I've tried. That's where I am. I am the firstborn. All of my family depends on me. I get calls all the time. This, that, school fees, this, money, this, blah, blah, blah. Please. But you see what these guys did in 36 from 3 to 5. You see, they kept bringing day after day, kept bringing day after day. They kept bringing until there was surplus. Do they not have needs? Do they not have things that they liked, that they would love to do, to enjoy? Do they not have vacations to take or stuff to do? See, one thing they couldn't have done is to go and ask the builders and say, hmm, so this temple that you guys um, want to build, um, how much will it take? What exactly is required? Let us know. So we'll just gather that amount. So there's no good to have excess. No, no, they didn't, they didn't do that. They could have. But they kept giving. They kept giving, continuously giving, until they were stopped. There is something here. You see, these people knew that the person asking from them is the Lord, is their God, Yahweh. Yahweh who brought us out of Egypt, they'll be saying. Yahweh who comforted us, who guided us, who delivered us over and over again, who showed us his mercy. Yahweh, the source of our significance. Yahweh, our meaning. Yahweh, whom without we will be nobody, we will be no nation, is asking for our possession. How can we just ask for the minimum? Whatever you consider as the source of your significance, of your meaning, of your comfort, of your security, of your status, whatever you seek to give you only what God can give you, Whatever can take the place, whatever takes the place of God in your life is your idol. You should be asking yourself, would I not be more generous if money has not become mammon or ajay to me? Or have I not been overtaken by an excess concern for, need of, love for, desire and dependence on money and possessions? My money and possessions. You spend the little you have on Babai Jebu on Niger Bets. If I just chop one meal like this, shower, I will do stuff. But it's been said in most lotteries that it's four times more likely for you to be eaten by lightning or to be killed by something dropped drop from like a plane crash or something than for you to win a lottery. You spend your plenty on your body, on your accessories, on stuff so that you can position yourself in case you can catch the crazy rich Asian, or the crazy rich African, or the crazy rich Nigerian. Um, you have two, you have job options. You have, <clears throat> I know, uh, I can't work on the mainland, never, mainland. Island, when people call you, where do you, work? you don't even tell them where you are working. Or people even ask you, where you work? Ah, so you work on the island, they don't even know where you are working. Ah, you work on the island, ah, you are enjoying it. <laughs> you are living life. Or you, I have the chance to start a business and build on the island. You do not consider what it is to take you to save expenses, to save overhead costs, but you want to feel like, you want to look like. You know, save costs, save expenses that will allow you to be more generous, that will give you more resources to be generous. We don't consider that. It is a few. If I have more money, I'll be comfortable. I need better estates. You know, I need, I need to live in a better estate, this place. I need to drive a better car. I need, I need, I need new clothes. You know, the clothes I have, they're not new enough. They're not in style enough. They're not good enough. 
If I have more money, I'll be respected. I want to be on Forbes list, Africa at least, Africa. I want my kids to go, no, where are your kids? Who's going to go? Going, ah, they're going to, hey, that's the money. Ah, that's what to say. You want to enter your kid's school and drive in like a, like a bus. And then you enter, you drop down, you just turn and say, hi, ah, but they're looking at you. If I have more money, people will like me. But when people have more money, they tend to be more arrogant. It complicates their relationships. And if I have more money, I will like myself. No. Your life gets more complex. Most times, it gets more complicated. You begin to increase in self-doubt. If I have more money, I will be safe. Safe from what? You'll be safe from disease. You'll be safe from old age. Or you'll be safe from death. The ads know this too. When companies do ads, they know. You see, beer, advertising beer, or car, or rug. And then they will bring some babes around. Oh, they are saying to you that, See, the kind of person that can afford this car, this kind of beer, if you can't afford it, if you make money enough to afford this, the babies then will come. There's one b-boy here, Dolox, paints, interior and outdoor paints. And then they wrap color around one babe to advertise to us. You see, there is something, they know, they understand what drives us, what motivates us, what moves us. Are you saying now, Dami, that comforts, that security, that cars, that electronics are bad or they are too good to possess? No, 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 that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that if you're unable to set aside money or your possession for God's sake, for the needy first before those things, or if you're not considering your lifestyle and you're not sacrificing certain things you want that you enjoy for God's purpose, then money has become a jay and mammon to you. It's no longer money. See, I have been in a condition in times where I had to walk long distances because I couldn't afford transport. Sometimes I had to walk long distances hoping that I would find some money on ground so maybe that would help me afford my breakfast. You know, while I'm walking, I wonder I'm, you know, this kind of, that kind of suffering. I'm cursing rich uncles in my mind, rich aunties in my mind. I'm saying, like, I can't say them. But then I've become a bit more privileged. God has blessed me more financially and... <clears throat> Uh, I've eaten in places like ice cream factory. You, whatever you eat today, you can never be belayful. But you spend a lot of money, <coughs> someday, about like four grand. And then I was going back home in public bus, going back home. And then just before me, a mother, a, a woman and a friend discussed about phone. I heard a woman screaming at a child. How can you do that? In Yoruba, how can you do that? What is, what is, how can you spend 350 and I give you people to spend for money tonight and you finish it on breakfast? You are a stupid girl. And then I ask myself, am I asking myself the right questions? Have I not neglected seeking out the needy with my resources, with my time, with my money, with the little that I think that I have? Am I saying I don't have enough yet? When I should be asking, Lord, why have you entrusted me with greater financial blessings than I once had? Is it to raise my standard of living or is it to raise my standard of giving? Do I assume you put things in my hands so that I can keep them. You see, if you are daydreaming about when I win one million, when I get this, blah, 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 about money all the time, most of the time. If you are saying it's because I don't have money, that's why I'm not general, that's what I want to give, blah, blah, blah. You see, money has become a detestable image to you. That is how Ezekiel puts it in his, in his book, a detestable image. You buy a toy, a bicycle for a child to ride, and then the child is small, and the child goes, 
breaks in pieces and joyfully breaking everything, smashes to pieces, twist all the parts in a way that it cannot be redeemable, in a way that is not recovered. And it comes to you, Mommy, see what I have done. Mommy, Mommy, see, Mommy, see. That's what we've done with money. A good tool, something to use. We've made it an idol. We've made it a detestable image in our hands. I'll tell you a story. I'm going to tell three stories of, of calves. This is the first one, the Lord's calf. A, a farmer had a cow. It was rearing. And the cow got pregnant at some point. And he went home to his wife to say, Honey, honey, now we have a calf, we have a baby. Um, <clears throat> And I said, that's nice, nice. They said, they have no twins, so let me shock you. They're twins. Say, wow, good stuff, good stuff. Oh, this is a good season. He said, you know what I've decided? I have decided that when, they come, when, they, when she gives birth, I will give one to the Lord, and we'll have one to ourselves. The wife was shocked. Say, mm, I'm becoming more generous. The grace of God upon you. Months down the line, the cow gave birth to the twins. Months down the line, <clears throat> the cow gave birth. And so the guy went... Um, back home that day, but was sad and sober, miserable, was distressed. And the wife was like, what's up now? Ah, I thought they give her, say, yeah, so. He said, but the Lord's calf died. <laughs> and so the wife asked him, he said, how do you know that the Lord's calf died? He said, I have proposed in my heart that the white one, because it's pure, is for the Lord. <laughs> and the dark one is for me and my family. And the wife said, oh, but is that not what we do? When things get difficult and tight for us, what do you cut off first? What do you reduce in your budget? Is it money for God, for God's work, for the needy, for missions, for charities, for people in church? If you do that, money has become your ruler. It's become your God. You were made to worship God and to reign over money. But when you choose to serve money or worship money, it turns back to rule us. So you ask, um, so should I start giving? Let me just start giving now. No, no, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. Because when money becomes your ruler, it minds you, finds you, winds and dines you, blinds you, binds you, and finally grinds you. You need, you need help. We need help. That leads me to the second point. <clears throat> we need to understand something about generosity before we see the true help. Generosity should come from our hearts. Chapter 25, verse 2. God asked for the art first. God asked for willing art. If you look at that verse, he asked for, he said, receive from those whose hearts prompt them to give. Before he now say, these are the offerings. So see, God is more interested in our art and our willingness before the giving, before the kind of offering we give, before our money and our possessions. You don't want to give. God doesn't want you to give. Some people give for good reasons, but not deep enough reasons. Some people give because of a guilty conscience. I have so much, I should give. You know, what about when you don't have so much? Would you give? Because true giving requires that you give not just when you're surplus, but even when things are scarce in a way that it affects your lifestyle. Some people give because they compare themselves to other people. This is what people like me do. People that have gone to this stage in life, they open foundations, they do stuff, you know, just do stuff. But if society start saying people of your class should do differently. What would you do? There is a giving pledge. 
um, an initiative of Bill and Melinda Gates and Warren Buffett. They put this together and said, billionaires in the world, rich people in the world, people should come and pledge that they will give more than at least half, at least half of their wealth to causes around. So I looked it up and I found the pledge, the speeches, the pledges that some of these guys wrote. And I found some interesting things. And I want to show you the reasons why they gave this stuff. So there's this guy that gave about $1 billion of his money to start a foundation. See what he said, the reason. I was putting other people, rich people on notice that I could be calling on them to be more generous. It was time for me to jet out in front of the parade. I realized that many of them used their net worth as a way to keep score, and they enjoyed seeing where they ranked on lists put out by magazines like Fortune and Forbes. Understanding how competitive most of these people are, I called on the media to start publishing lists of people who gave away the most. I figured that this would not only motivate people to try to get to the top of the philanthropy list, it will also shame some whose names didn't show up. You see that? You know what this is? There is a difference, someone has said, between enjoying appreciation and gratitude and needing or craving it. There is. One other person, he said, um, it is inspiring, this initiative. It is what I call competitive philanthropy. As Warren Buffett assured me, I am certain to get my money's worth. This was why he was given at least half of his billions. You know, some of us will give money because we want our names on certain plaques. We want our names on certain buildings. We want our names on certain libraries and museums. When people pass away, people can talk about it. People can say, oh, so it was this guy that gave it to him. So it was this person that gave it to him. So what does your art prompt you mean? What does it really mean? What does your art prompt you? What does it mean? Um, so does it mean, so I should give when I feel like? Like when I'm moved, when I feel like. No, 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 that's not what it means. See, in, verse, in chapter 35, which will be part of the text that we read, but it's quite a lengthy text, and it's also important. Chapter 35, verses 20 to 29. This is not very clear in the NIV, or in some translations, it's clear. You see the word willing and the art about seven times. You know, and when this, when you, what does this really mean? What does it mean? It means things like this. When you see this word, seven times I pray, there's an emphasis on it. It means freely disposed in art to give, wise of art to give, whose art lifted him up to give. Yeah, and in most other places in scripture, art refers to the seat of our mind, the seat of our will, and the seat of our emotions. Art here refers not just to the willingness, but to choice, to share will and wish to give. It means your own inner constitution and disposition. It means the real you, the all real you. Some say, all the church wants is my money. My money, money, money all the time. No, 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 you are wrong. The church wants more than your money. The church, you know what we want? We want your life, your vision, your future, your talents, your children, and your money. God wants it all. God wants your art. God wants the old real you. You know why? Because if he has it, he won't allow money to deform you. He won't allow money to rule over you. He won't allow money to bind, to blind, and to grind you. In 1 Chronicles 29 verse 5, 
when David asked the people to give for the building of the temple, David did not first ask for gift. He never first asked for offering. David said, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? When Paul asked for the Macedonian church that was so poor, he said they first gave themselves willingly to the Lord before they gave their gifts. So this is where willing, cheerful, joyful giving comes from. And if it comes from here, remember 1 Corinthians 13. He said, if you give all that you have to the poor and you have no love, he said, you've given nothing from here, from the arts. So this redefines our possessions. It defines our giving. It defines our expenditure. Because if God wants you, if God wants to own you, if God owns you, then giving everything is nothing. Because he's going to take care of you. You've become his. See the ladies. Consider the birds of the air. Is that not what Jesus said? You see, they don't give themselves over to other gods. They don't give themselves to other idols. So I take care of them. They are more decorated in their own than Solomon in all of his glory. When God receives your heart, you become like one of these. And you don't have to worry about taking yourself. About taking care of yourself. You don't have to worry. But there are four more reasons from this text. In verse 20, chapter 25, from verse 3 to 7. God gives us everything we own. This is the first one. Because if we go back in Exodus, if you read earlier in chapter 12, the Bible says that God made the Egyptians favorably disposed to give the, the Israelites all gold, silver, all kinds of stuff that they have. He made them give. So it was God's stuff in the hand of Israel. Like these things asking for was God's stuff. When God's asking for gold, for silver, for cassia wood, for iron stones, it is what he had asked them to collect from the Egyptians he was asking them for. The second reason, God does not relinquish ownership. The fact that God has stuff and he gives you stuff does not mean that he doesn't still own it, though he's in your hand. You're just a possessor. You're just a manager. You're just a delivery man. You beg for it. Say, these are the offerings I want you to come. Ask them to bring it. The third reason, he needs it for his own work. 25 verse 8. You see, when you gather all these things, then have them build a sanctuary for me, for his work. Everything that we have, everything that we've been given for his work, for his purpose, for his kingdom. We ought to give him with joy and willing that God will consider me. Like God would have given me all this stuff so that I can give to him. What privilege. Everything that we have and that we give to you has come from your hands. David said, when we were younger, our parents would go meet our parents. Oh, mommy, I want to pay offering to, I want to pay offering to. And they say, oh, come, come, take 20, take 15. And then we'll run down with joy and join the queue line and then drop the funds, you know. With joy, we wanted to be part of this stuff. The same way you ought to delight in being part of God's work. That same joy, that innocence, willingness. Can you see that this God cannot be compared to idols? The second story of the calf. In chapter 22, this is the story of the golden calf. The people, just before they will obey God's command, Moses has received the command, they are not going to them, they have not brought the offerings yet. They gather all these things that they've received, the gold, the silver, they gathered it together. I know what they did. They made a calf, a golden calf, from the resources that God had given them, that he, had, that he wanted them to use for his, for his work. They gathered and they built a golden calf. Have we not used our resources in the same way? Have we not used our possessions, what we have in the same way, to build stuff, to build stuff for our own kingdom, for our own image? Things that you know what they said to the calf? He said, these are the gods. After they built it, they said, these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. How dare they? But before you judge them, you look at yourself. 
Have you not looked at someone and say, this is what, this bank account, if I don't stock it this much, if I don't have this investment this way, if I don't live this kind of life, then people will look down on me and I'll be so sad and I'll be so miserable. These are the gods that save me, that help me. The fourth reason is always add a plan, since for his work. This is my most mind-boggling. He's always had a plan since for his work. God already knew how the sanctuary would look like. Because after he told Moses to gather these offerings, he now went on describing in detail over many chapters how the sanctuary would look like. Shape after shape with such meticulousness and accuracy. You see, what did God know? God asked the Israelites to ask the Egyptians so that when they have this, for the materials long ago in Exodus 11, he asked them to ask it, and then he made Egyptians give them in Exodus 12, so that he can use it for his work. This God can't be compared to any idol. So ask yourself the same. Look at the world that you have. Look at the ideas that you have. Look at the business that you have. Look at the job that you have. Look at the education you have. Look at that promotion you have. Look at the money, the resources, the time, the gift, the talent, everything that you have. God beforehand, he had preordained us to be his workmanship for good works. He had known that you will have all this and that you will use all this for his work, for his kingdom, for the needy, for the church. That is why he gave you everything that you have. Everything. Now you're almost set. But I want us to see <clears throat> the greatest plan that God had since long before the foundations of the world. And that brings us to the third point. Christ wants to dwell in our hearts. In verse 8 of chapter 25, see what he says. He says, have them build me a sanctuary, and I will dwell among them. I will dwell among them. This has always been God's intent. In 24, in chapter 24, he says, I brought you out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I brought you out of Egypt so that I might dwell among you. This is the reason. When God stayed intent to tabernacle, he said, I'll be with you in the day, pillar of cloud. I'll be with you pillar, uh, at night, pillar of fire in the ark. When he built the temple for him, God's intent, he always wanted to dwell amongst his people. Always. Even in Christ's coming. In Matthew 1, he says, and now the Savior is born. He says, Emmanuel, God with us. The word of God became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Always God's intent. I will soon be taken up. I will soon be crucified and killed. He says, but I will be with you to the end of the age. Always his intent. So dwell amongst us. Because his dwelling amongst us does something. He can read us of the idols that rule our hearts. He can read us of the idols that reign in our hearts. Ye are the temple of God. What has Christ have to do with Belial? What has the temple got to do with idols? What has the temple of God that you are has to do with the idols of approval, of success, of career, of significance, of money? He said, because I will walk with you, I will be your father. He said, separate yourselves from these idols. Separate yourselves from all these things that contaminate your body and spirit. Live in holy reverence towards me. This is what Christ's dwelling does. See, there's a fictional account of a man um, who tried to enter a church for many months. He kept trying to get a church, but don't allow him. Poor guy, wretched fellow, couldn't get into the church, couldn't access the church. Because rich, flamboyant guys, you know, in the church, all living, they don't, poor people, they don't deal, they don't care about the needs of these people. He tried over and over, they were turning away from the door, turning away from the door. And then he sat one day, one other Sunday, on one other midweek service, and he sat on the steeple of the church around. And while I was there, you know, crying and just regretting his life, why was it before I didn't have? And then some guy walked around him. That guy happened to be Jesus, and he stood around him, and then sat down, and then rapped. Oh, what's up? Why are you 
Why are you sober? Why are you crying? Why are you miserable? Why are you sad? And say, ah, I've been trying to get into that church for some time now, for so many months now, they've not allowed him. And just look at him. Ah, that's why I cry. The one is even good though. I've been trying to get into that church for the past 25 years now, and they've not allowed me. If you do not see and accept what Christ has done, you won't have him dwell in you completely. Your heart will always be ruled by the idol of money. So ask yourself, is Christ outside my heart? Or is he fully resident in? Is he comfortable in? Is Christ outside our church? Is Christ outside our city? See the test. If there is no crazy, abounding generosity in your life, such that make you live sacrificially, such that make you give, and people say, that guy is crazy, this church is crazy, Christ is not fully inside. He's not. So what did Christ do? Christ did not just give his money, he didn't just give his possessions, he didn't just give those things. Christ gave himself. Christ gave himself. Take me for the greed. Take me for the greed of these people. Take me in place for what they've done, seeking other gods, these detestable gods, seeking these false gods. They've allowed their heart to be devoted to this God, but take me in their place for their approval, seeking gods of approval, gods of success, of security, of comfort. Take me in their place. Sacrifice me on their behalf. Receive me in their own place. Do not punish them. He's always been secure. He's always enjoyed the approval of his father from eternity past. He's always been comfortable. But he laid all that down. He gave himself willingly. He said, I have the power to take it up and to lay down my life. But he laid it willingly. He gave it obediently. He said, let your will be done in Gethsemane, not mine. He gave it abundantly, beyond requirements, beyond our sin, beyond our ability to sin. Christ gave himself as a sacrifice. He gave everything perfectly. There was nothing else he could make as an offering. Nothing else. And this is what Paul calls the indescribable gift of God. He said, for you, he said, excel in the gift of giving. Why? For you know that Christ was rich. He was. But he became poor so that you can become rich. He's also giving us the perfect gift of the Holy Spirit. He'll always be with us. He gives us the perfect gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't just rise to leave us alone. His Spirit dwells in our inner being to help us, to guide us, to keep us from idols that try to beguile us with, with their lies. The Israelites give so that God may dwell among them. So when we give as the Spirit helps us, when we give as the Spirit guides us, when we give generously, willingly, cheerfully. We are making an eternal investment, yes. We are helping others, yes. But we are also making a spiritual statement. Do you know what we're saying? We are saying, Lord, this is how much we treasure you. We treasure you more than money. Lord, this is how much we want you to reign in us. This is how much we want you to rule over us. You are more important than money, than success, than approval to, to us. You are our everything. Idols are nothing. And if idols are nothing, let nothing else take your place in our hearts. And then this brings to my final point. This is the art of generosity. Um, so should I give 10% or should I give everything away to the poor to need for everything away? You know, there are orphans running about now somewhere in Sudan, barefooted. And then you're wearing this beautiful designer elevator 
high heels of a shoe. If you do that, you'll possibly not be given cheerfully or willingly. You'll be given reluctantly, you'll be given compulsory. Because for some people, 10% is a sacrifice. For some people, tithing is a sacrifice. For some, 50%, nothing. It's nothing to them. So the goal is to give generously, remember. The goal is to give generously, but willingly and sacrificially. So how? So how do we give? Turn to chapter 36, verses 6 to 7. At least there are four things that we can see. I want your eyes to be there. What do you say? It says that, Then Moses gave an order, and he sent his word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more. Because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. No man is to make anything else as an offering. And they were restrained. First thing we can see, they were restrained, so they still had with them. It is good to have money and possessions. You don't have to give everything away. That is not the idea. It's the heart of generosity. So, but the second thing, it is better to give the money and possessions. They kept giving until they were stopped from giving. The thought is, we should always be looking for ways to be generous. He that gives when asked has waited too long. If you wait to give until you are asked, you've waited too long. You should be looking for ways to be generous. The fourth thing, we should always be asking God for what to do with our money and our possessions. They heard the man of God say to them that stop giving restraining, you have done, you have tried enough. So we should always be asking God, asking him by spirits, how should I use my money? Where should I give my money? Who is needy that will bring to me this week, this month, this year, before I plan my budget? Should we pray prayers like, Lord, have I fallen for the lie that I don't have enough to give, despite the fact that the greatest examples of giving in Scripture were poor people? We see that in Randy Alcorn's book that I read, The Treasure Principle. Show me how I can give. Show me where I can give. This is the art of generosity. And of course, the story of the last calf. This calf is called the Korean calf. Um, so there were two Christians, well-to-do Christians, traveling around or taking a war tour, and then stopped at Korea. So they had an interpreter and a guide them along. And then they got to one field like that and they saw a father and a son. But they were plowing manually. They were not using an animal or anything. They were plowing manually. The guy was doing it on the ground. The man was holding the handles. Ah, the man said, this is so crude. This is a cruel sight. What is this? Uh, the interpreter said, ah, that is the, um, the Chenu's family. He said, oh. Um, they sold their only calf when we were gathering offering to build the church. See? Ah, really? Ah, that must have been, the businessman said, ah, that must have been a a real sacrifice. Say no, no. They didn't consider it such. They didn't even call it sacrifice at all. They actually thought that they were fortunate that they even had one calf to give for God's work. When the lawyer and businessman got home, you know what they did? They ran to the pastor and told him, Pastor, I want to double my offering. I have never given anything to God that hurts me before. This is the art of generosity. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful because you've given us an indescribable gift. Can't talk anything. We can't say more about it. Period. Help us to see. Help us to accept. Help us to 
to, to, to know it, to understand it in our heart of hearts. That we're able to give generously, willingly, and sacrificially to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church. Love Jesus. Love people. Love Lagos.